Today on the Almond Journey podcast. I think this whole conversation is something that scares everybody significantly. So it's not something that people want to talk about. And when there's no conversation, there's no clarity. You know, people aren't aren't solving problems. Farmer conservationist and water entrepreneur Matt Angel joins the show. back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On the show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich. I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their communities, and advance the almond industry. Today's thought-provoking episode is all about water and conservation. We're headed to Madera, California, to visit with third-generation farmer and water entrepreneur Matt Angel. Matt's going to introduce us to some of the climate-smart farming practices he's exploring, his approach to water conservation, and some of his thoughts on the groundwater situation. After attending Cal Poly, Matt took a job with a large cattle and timber operation, where he started incorporating some of the soil regeneration techniques pioneered by Dr. Alan Savory. These early experiences sort of reinforced a commitment to conservation that has stayed with Matt his entire career. For several years, he's been applying similar principles to farming almonds and grapes, but rather than using cattle in this case, he's using other practices like cover crops. I think cover crops are a perfect example. It it gets us to grow a different crop in our almonds. You know, we get to pick the varieties that fit our region. Uh, the rainfall that we do get because that ground, you know, will take that water in and it doesn't go out the back end of the field, I think is really important. When you're looking at soil moisture and you've got cover crops in your crop, I think the thinking is, is that, hey, it's consumptive, you know, and so there's this big debate right now going on, you know, should cover crops be part of an incentive program to grow because we're talking about healthy soils? Or should we eliminate it because it takes water? And I think we just got to be smart about it. So from a regenerative perspective, I think it's stepping back, looking at your practices, and then trying to figure out where there's good soil health, where you're managing and understanding all your inputs. I think ultimately, and this is going to sound crazy, Tim, but I think that actually the Midwest guys think that we're in agroforestry. So I think that's that's pretty unique. You know, I think we maybe what we need to do is reframe some of the things and how we think about what we're doing so that people can really uh, understand the benefits of what we do as permanent crop growers. Matt carried this mindset of resource conservation, not just into soil and farming, but into water as well. He's currently the managing partner for both Madera Pumps and U.S. Water Well. As technology evolved over the years, he started experimenting with ways to use data and sensors to become more efficient with water. My father is a drip irrigation engineer. So what happened was it just became a natural evolution that, you know, that I got involved in drip irrigation. And from there, just became fascinated by looking at uh, data sources that were easy to look at and um gather. So sensors, you know, from a grain harvester to, you know, the PSI gauge on a filter. I mean, you know, just the the whole litany of different 
measurement devices and not capturing any of that information. And uh, it was really difficult in our irrigation company to, to teach uh, growers how to irrigate. So we started trying to understand what would help them. And so all the stuff that we've used, we actually use on the ranch. So uh, it just became really uh, evident that as we use these sensors, we were benchmarking data, uh, using data to get better each year. We just kept getting better and better at what we did. And uh, it became obvious uh, that was the, the right path. So I think technology was uh, something that, you know, was kind of natural to me. I didn't care for it in the early days because, you know, we're data loggers and different things. So once we started gathering data with uh, wireless or the cloud, things became a lot simpler. And uh, it's just been this amazing journey. It ultimately evolved into the point where we recognized that we needed to um, test and try this, all technologies on the ranch, just to assure our growers that that it works. So I think that's been the, you know, the path, you know, conservation's always been really high on my list and resource conservation's critical. Now you're going to notice that Matt references the ranch in this episode and keep in mind that they produce both almonds and grapes. So sometimes he's going to be giving almond examples and other times it will be grapes. I think it'll be pretty clear when he does, but just thought I'd warn you about that. So what has he learned over the years about water data that might help other growers looking to improve their own operations? I asked if Matt would give us sort of a snapshot of what changes he's made over the years and what results he's seen. You know, we used to hand auger everything, right, to check our soil moisture. And what would happen was we do it once a week. Uh, but if anybody's ever hand augered one site, let alone 20 blocks, it's a chore. You're there for 15, 20 minutes. It's somewhat subjective because it's the hand feel method. And I think it's an important method. But at the end of the day, you know, there's no real benchmarks. You know, and we did this in our grapes to begin with. Our production would go high. You know, we'd have these ebb and flow production. So one year we'd have seven tons and next year we'd have 12, 10. So it's really sporadic, right? And part of it was, is that it was how we irrigated, the timing, you know, how the crop was evolving. So I think when you start looking at crops and you start understanding each phenological stage, now all of a sudden you can start matching fertilizers, water, some of the things that, you know, that are important during those stages to be really paying attention to. So if you can benchmark that with soil moisture. So what we did was we tested 30 or 40 sensors, right? You know, from single source, you know, the, the old classic was a urometer, which was a ceramic field uh, that looked at tension in the soil, right? Good technology, but single point. We actually evolved and, and found a group of guys out of Australia about 20 years ago. And uh, they put sensors, five or whatever number they wanted, on a single profile probe. So that meant that we stuck a probe in the soil in one site, and there was five sensors vertically. And so one foot, two foot, three foot, four foot. So actually, when you turn the irrigation system on, you know, you could watch the infiltration of that soil and what would happen, you know, the water, excuse me. And that became really important. But over-irrigating is just as bad as under-irrigating, right? 
So what we did was we learned that, you know, in the active root zone, which we call the ARZ, that's from about 12 to 24 inches. We would literally look at those sensors at that site and set a guideline, you know, a high and a low. And all you had to do is follow the, you know, the curve. And what was fun for me is when we first started and just understanding water management, you know, I mean, because we use all these techniques like ET, coefficients, you know, yeah, and you start looking at weather stations and trying to understand all the things that go on. The Australians use ET as a benchmark. So when they're looking at how they're going to schedule their irrigation, they say, well, I'm going to need this much for this week. But they watch their soil moisture to understand in real time and continuous exactly what's going on. And so they listen to ET, but they use you know the soil moisture to actually to run that. And here's the simplicity of it. I just said that we, we'd auger each field once a week, right? So that's one reading per week. Uh, it's a bit subjective because you're using the hand field method. So when you start gathering data and on those soil moisture probes, we, we'd take it every 15 minutes. So not only did we see how much water we were putting in, but we saw how much the plant was extracting because that data now has given us information every 15 minutes. Well, that's 96 reads a day. So in a, a week's period, that's 700 reads versus one. And I will guarantee you that most growers, if I said that you were gonna, you were gonna soil profile with a, a hand auger once a week, it might get done once a month. So now all of a sudden, you're kind of guessing what's going on below the surface of the soil, right? And what's problematic is, is that 50% of that tree is above ground, what we see, and the other 50 is below ground. So it's what we don't know that we need to manage, you know. So that became something that we really paid attention to. As that evolution became, you know, we started doing a lot of other things, like putting a pressure switch on the hose. Now we saw exactly how long the system ran and what the effects, you know, during each time period. Then we put a transducer at the end of the drip hose, so we could do a real-time distribution test, right? And those are the things that are really important. I think a lot of times we don't look at distribution uniformity as growers. So that means how uniform is my drip system? And you want that distribution uniformity to be 90 plus, right? But if you looked at it and you, you don't understand how much pressure is at the end of the line, then you really don't understand the distribution uniformity because again, Unless you're measuring it, it's, it's hard to see. These lessons Matt has learned over the years about water can be boiled down to a framework he likes to refer to as the five M's. Map, monitor, measure, manage, and market. You know, mapping's critical for anybody, you know. And, and so I think you can use the NRCS map as a, a baseline. You know, and I watched it in the 1965s. You know, you know, they were still mapping you know, different soils in different counties, but uh, they'd kind of look at an area and they'd say, well, it's this kind of grass and that's typical for this kind of soil. So the the resolution or the clarity or the granularity of, of their surveys was probably, you know, plus or minus 50%. What we did was we went in and took, you know, an EC uh, or a virus and basically mapped it with electroconductivity. After we looked at the variability of the field, we'd pull a three-foot core, analyze it, 
and then look at how much sand silt, you know, what we had with the pH, with the mineralization, sandy loam, what, what was the soil type? So that's the map part of it. And I think it's really important if you're going to get into irrigation management that you know exactly what you're looking at. The next thing is in, in its monitoring. You know, I call these uh, these sensors scouts. You know, you have a scout, the PCA scout that comes out once a week and looks for bugs. Well, these scouts, they report 96 times a day, right? So you get this data log of, of what's going on. So I think monitoring is important. Obviously, with that, it's the measurement. You know, what are you measuring? You know, how are you looking at it? You know, the last part's managed, you know, and I think that's critical. You know, we you hear it all the time. You know, you've got to, you know, got to measure to manage. And that's true of any industry. And the one thing that I, you know, that I'd love farmers to do is that, you know, we talked about regeneration. We talked about these tool sets. The good work that we're doing, we ought to be selling that in the marketplace, Right. You know, and I think, you know, growers, you've got all kinds of organizations in the almond business that are doing amazing work at marketing. You know, the almond board's done an incredible job for us. You know, they, they've just done the right thing. So I think the marketing side is the last thing. After you raise this incredible crop, you know, that you've done, you know, all this analysis on and it's nutrient rich, that's what you're looking for is you want you want to be able to sell that. I think that's something that we should be super proud of. So that the five M's were just logic, you know, for me. With these principles in mind and the sensors Matt was experimenting with on his farm, he started to get approached by other growers who wanted to improve their own irrigation efficiency. Before long, he helped create a software package to apply these learnings to both his almonds and his grapes. So what happened to me was when these Australians showed up in our irrigation shop and they said, hey, we'll do this. I said, I'm in. But we, we took a hard line back to the computer, so we actually ran a line back to the home site. Then once we went to cell technology and we were able to get that data, all of a sudden guys would come in, they go, hey, you know, into the irrigation company, and they go, hey, I hear you're doing this, right? These guys are telling us we're doing that. So I wasn't even selling the technology, right? And they go, I want five of those in my field, right? So what happened was the evolution just happened naturally for me. You know, people just started going, we got to have this because obviously it's it's helping you. The one thing I didn't say is that when we set those lines, that high and low line for the active root zone, it took the variability out of our yield. Obviously, freezes kick our butt here in, in the valley, but barring a freeze, we actually started to stabilize our production. So it was predictable, right? So we were now nailing, you know, a 15 ton crop of grapes and we could do it predictably. Whereas before, remember I said, you know, we'd get a seven and drop to an eight and we'd go up to 12. It's because we weren't controlling the variability of, of our soil moisture. Those plants just require that, you know, daily. And what we were really missing was that next year's crop is actually in this year's plant. So bud determination, you know, it sits in your in your crop. So if that doesn't develop properly, you're going to hurt next year's crop. So what was happening, sometimes my dad had let the field dry down too much and we were affecting next year's crop. So, you know, we started understanding ourselves what that looked like and it became very obvious. And then everybody said, yeah, let's let's do that. So Matt talked about the importance of maps and this software and sensors help with the monitoring, measuring, and management. 
But what about that fifth M? What does marketing have to do with any of this? Well, Matt points to growers who are starting to get paid for sequestering carbon, but also says he sees it going far beyond this, potentially to where growers receive premiums for resource efficiency. I've been working on something, you know, with the NRCS and RCD. I sit on our local RCD board, which is a resource conservation district. And so last year I wrote something, you know, a formula called a a resource efficiency assessment index. What I was looking for was I took the forest sustainability matrix that they use for looking at carbon credits and different things, right? There's these, there's a set of matrix that you have to have to get a certain amount of carbon credits, right? NRCS has something called CART, which is their conservation assessment tool set. But both those tool sets are subjective. And so we've been building a software system that basically automates the valves, looks at the you know soil moisture, understands how much fertilizer was put in, what the distal pressure in your irrigation system so you have high uniformity. We put just this big block of sensors in a system called a SCADA system, which is a sensory control and data acquisition system, so SCADA. And what we did was we went and found the guys that that did that best, and then we built on their platform. It's a platform called Ignition. But what I love about it is that I want to create something called a hero. And a hero grower is a high-efficiency resource operator. So if you looked at a grower and you just put them on a scatter chart, and then you looked at their resources, how much fertilizer they use, how much water, and then... With that, we know how much greenhouse gas there is. We know how much carbon sequestration there is. But if we can objectively look at the water use, we can objectively look at the fertilizer, we can see what's going on on those soils, we actually can start sorting growers up. And what I want to do is just put them on a chart. So there could be a grower that grows 2,200 pounds, but only uses 28 inches of water, right? Whereas some growers are going to grow 4,000 pounds, but they're going to use 42 inches of water. So if you just took that graph and you sorted those people up on the higher side, I think that we ought to be incentivizing high efficiency resource operators. So in the Midwest, everybody gets $15 for a carbon credit for an acre. But if you're a, if you're a high efficiency resource operator, you shouldn't get that $15. You should get something that that has some real value. And I think it's really important, though, that I think going forward, it gets back to that marketing that I'm talking about, is that if we're doing agroforestry, we're conditioning our valley air through bringing in carbon dioxide, uh, putting it in the ground, creating carbon, planting cover crops because we're not disking. So that carbon is sequestering. Then we ought to be able to label our product and be able to get a premium for it. But I think that it can't be subjective like a sustainable index, right? It needs to be objective. I use this much water, use this kind of fertilizer. You know, these are my greenhouse gas emissions. This is how much carbon I've sequestered. You know, I think those things going forward are going to be really important. And I, I think that I'm not looking for incentive, but I think, you know, when we talk about Sigma and you start talking about growers, California law states in water 
that you have the right to use water for highest and best use. Well, how do you gauge highest and best use? And it ought to be on somebody that's actually working at it. So that's the next step, I think. Now, this opened up a fascinating conversation with Matt on groundwater, which is something he thinks quite a bit about, and we could probably fill a whole second episode talking about. But I did want to share some of Matt's thoughts on the topic and the need for communication as the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, or SIGMA, gets rolled out. I think this whole conversation is something that scares everybody significantly. So it's not something that people want to talk about. And when there's no conversation, there's no clarity. You know, people aren't aren't solving problems, you know, and I think that's what's happened. You know, what, what happens is that when you approach the conversation, people just kind of put their head down and they don't know what to say. Now, I don't know that I'm any different. You know, I'm certainly not tearing out half my my orchard or doing anything. You know, I'm I'm watching what goes off. I'm trying to engage in the process. But I think, honestly, we probably ought to be putting transducers in wells strategically throughout the county. And I wouldn't say to make it public, but I, I would make it open to the people that use water that are farmers so that they actually could understand what was going on in the groundwater, right? Because... On my home ranch, um, as of 2012, from 62, as 20, 2010, uh, our groundwater dropped to 200 feet. In the last four weeks, it's dropped 40 feet. So I think if we can't solve this, this is not a, a an issue that we can kick the can down the road. It's going to come and kick us. And I think that if we looked at our basin, this 300,000-acre basin, and we broke it into 15 logical spots. And you said, hey, you know, here's these logical areas. These are your neighbors. What are your problems? But right now, we don't have a platform that we even are talking about. Nobody's asking that question. We don't have the leadership to make those conversations because everybody's trying to, you know, they're trying to sidestep it. That's something that I think, you know, from a Sigma perspective in a groundwater overdraft, it gets everybody to the table. Now everybody collectively says, look, this is probably something that we got to act on, right? Because this can't keep going on. And I just haven't seen that in any of the, the organization leaderships. I think the timing, you know, by fall will be almost perfect, but it's because I think everybody will have a high enough degree of concern that, that this conversation will be compelling. Thanks so much to Matt Angel for sharing his almond journey with us on the show. I like his easy-to-remember 5Ms approach to resource management and also appreciated his thoughts in bringing more conversation to the groundwater issues. We're also going to dive in a little bit deeper into cover crops and the concept he shared of climate-smart agriculture on today's ABC Update. Climate-smart agriculture refers to practices that are not only good for the crop, but also provide additional ecological benefits. There are increasingly more programs to incentivize these practices, whether it be incorporating cover crops, increasing water use efficiency, or building healthier soils, just as some examples. Joining me for today's ABC update is Jesse Roseman, Principal Analyst for the Almond Board. Jesse is excited to launch the new Cover Crop Best Management Practices Guide, which the Almond Board of California co-produced, along with UC Ag and Natural Resources and UC Davis. I think one of the first 
challenges to adopting any new practice is just seeing how it fits within your own particular operation. And this guide does, I think, an excellent job in taking growers through the thought process of just how old is my orchard and what are my goals with planting a cover crop? And then how can it fit best in my operation? Management and site-specific factors will determine if, when, and how cover crops will fit into your system. But under the right conditions, cover crops can help with goals such as water infiltration, reducing compaction, managing weeds, increasing soil carbon and biology, and providing habitat for pollinators and other beneficial insects. One really important piece for almond growers is that you can choose a cover crop mix that provides pollinator forage. And we know that we rely on bees and native pollinators. And by planting cover crops, you can benefit those pollinators and help extend the season while they're out there in the orchard in addition to the almond blossom. The Cover Crop Best Management Practices Guide offers a detailed overview of when certain decisions should be made throughout the calendar year, including planning, planting, growth, and termination. Jesse says that in addition to those agronomic benefits, some of which we mentioned, the ecological benefits are being recognized by more individuals and organizations, which are leading to financial incentives for growers. Especially with the focus on incentives and the increased attention on climate smart agriculture, we wanted to provide a guide that both makes it accessible to growers and also will help make them more competitive and, and more interested when they do look at these incentive funding programs. There is a page on the almonds.com website called Incentive Opportunities, where you can find a list of potential programs. After that, Jesse says good places to start are with the Natural Resources Conservation Service and the California Department of Food and Agriculture. Typically, the best source of funding has been the Natural Resources Conservation Service, and they have their EQIP program and several other programs that are similar to EQIP to plant cover crops, apply compost, and other healthy soils practices. We've also got our Healthy Soils Program, which really takes a lot of the NRCS practices and the carbon sequestration calculations and brings it over to CDFA. And I, I think with that, you could have an easier time working with CDFA, or you could try applying to NRCS and CDFA and just see which one uh, works out. Well, make sure you get your copy of the Cover Crop Best Management Practices via the almonds.com website. We'll link that for you in the show notes or by contacting the field outreach team directly at fieldoutreach at almondboard.com. We here at the Almond Journey podcast believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders, people like Matt Angel, may have sparked a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. That's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along with us for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to someone else in the industry so we can all share in this almond journey together. Almond Journey.